I got pigtails just like you. <gasps> Twins? Just like me. Yeah. Just like me. That's you? Yeah. Yes. Oh. Just like me. Yeah, this is going to be just like your baby brother. <gasps> Yeah. That's right. Who's in mommy's belly? That's my son, my belly. I see your belly. What's in your belly? You have a baby in there? I've got a big belly. Not as big as Not mommy's. as big as mommy's. Look how big mommy's belly is. You got a big belly. What? You got a big belly. You take that back. <laughs> <laughs> you take that you back. You take that back. <laughs> Daddy's silly, huh? Look at my belly. Henley, you have a hairy belly. No, I'm not. Welcome to a new episode of Hot Marriage Cool Parents. This is Douglas. And I'm Jamie. And we want to welcome you to day, what is it? Day something of quarantine? I mean, we record these early anyways. So by the time you guys listen, we're probably at about two weeks quarantine and we're not going to stop there. We're actually no. going to stay quarantined. But I don't want to talk about the coronavirus, not for a second, <laughs> not even a little bit, because I'm kind of over it. I'm sure you probably are too. So I think we should just shoot straight to the chase and talk about pregnancy symptoms. Well, just to let everybody know that we do have a very special guest, which is one of Jamie's former colleagues who is on the front line. She's going to give us a behind the scenes at the hospital as an RN labor and delivery nurse in the epicenter, New York City. Yeah. So we do have an amazing guest on. She's one of my very, very good friends. Her name's Sarah. And we're going to talk about obviously what it's like to be working in the hospital right now alongside all these coronavirus patients. But also being around people that have it and also the idea that support people going into a pregnancy may or may not be allowed in the hospital for the actual delivery. So yeah, I just wanted to bring on my friend Sarah because she is on the front lines, on the labor and delivery unit, and being pregnant myself, I mean, I see both sides of every situation. It's so scary. So instead of being scared, I thought I'd bring on someone who has all the facts. And just like last week, we had an expert on the coronavirus. This week, we have someone who's an expert in the labor and delivery field and can give good advice as far as like if you're pregnant and laboring and all that jazz. But also in New York City, where it's considered the epicenter. Yeah. So she's at the number one hospital in New York. So she really knows what she's talking about. She's been a nurse for years and years. Yeah. But before that, we do want to start off this podcast on a very happy note. And we love giving our five-star reviewers a shout out. So this one comes from True WWEW. So True Woo, who says, I love your podcast so much. We followed you ever since Married at First Sight, and you two are just an amazing couple and some freaking awesome parents to Henley. Aw. I love how real you are. Jamie and Doug is so funny. She might have said Jamie and Doug is so funny, but Doug is so funny. <laughs> I love how he may say some random off-the-wall thing and you bring him back down to earth with a crazy smiley face. <laughs> that being said, I love his sense of humor. I cannot wait for the arrival of your new baby boy and pray for you all daily. Oh. Yeah. Don't either of you change one bit. XO, XO, Nicole, PB. Aw, thank you so much, Nicole. That is so sweet. Yeah. Up until now, I couldn't wait for our baby either, but now I'm like, stay in there, kid. Like, we just need a little bit more time. Yeah, well, I mean, you're certainly feeling them now, and I'm feeling them too. Like, we were laying on the couch last night watching TV, and I just had my hand on top of your sweater. And Let's this, be honest, I was forcing you to put your hand on my belly. Right, but once I stopped, I like felt them throughout your whole body. I love it when he can feel him because it's such an amazing feeling to feel your baby kicking and moving inside you. And you want to share that experience and Doug just never gets to feel it or see it like my belly moving. 
And I always try to get a video for you guys to share it on Instagram and stuff. And I'll sit there and I'll take the video. And then I'm like, you can't even tell. But sometimes I still upload it and I'm like, can you see it? Like, I swear to God, it's there. Yeah, but then you ask me to do it. And then all of a sudden he stops. But, you know, now that he's so much bigger and he's clearly on the right side of your belly, every time I put my hand there, it is like he kicks. It's sweet. I take it as like he's saying hello to his dad. Yeah. And last night when I was putting Gracie down, so every single night, those of you who follow us probably already know this. I've told you before. I sing this song. It's Henley Grace, Henley Grace, your daddy's Henley baby, your mommy's Gracie girl. And so then I sing that a few times when I hum it. And I was just thinking last night that like, now he's so well formed. He can recognize like light and dark, you know, from being in the womb. And he can also hear, of course. And so I was just thinking like, oh my goodness, he's going to recognize that tune because I sing it to Henley every single night. Maybe. So I was thinking, I don't know, like I'll let you guys know how this works, but like it'll be interesting if he's crying when he's here and he calms down when I sing that song. So I was literally rocking Henley to sleep last night thinking, how can I make this a song for our baby? Like, we're not even sure what his name is yet, but I'll be like, <laughs> huh, huh, huh. And I'll somehow make it your daddy's something baby and mommy something boy. That's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, that's a work in progress. And speaking of work in progress, so is his room. We... I don't know how we're going to be able to even sleep because Henley has regressed with sleep. Let's be honest, because she's been waking up at, one o'clock in the morning and four o'clock in the morning. And I'm just imagining having a newborn and waking up and I don't get enough sleep now and neither do you, but you're an insomniac. So you just don't Lately, sleep. Lately, that's yeah. a pregnancy symptom. I mean, I literally can't sleep. I was up, no joke, last night until 4 a.m. My mind doesn't settle. I think that it's a little bit of everything going on. I literally have like the essential diffuser or whatever right next to my nose. And I put on this app, Insight Timer. It's free for anybody who wants a free meditation. That's just a shout out. I put the meditation app on. I have the incense like literally under my nose. I like have my little eye goggles on. I'm trying everything to just calm my brain and go the F to sleep. And I just can't. It's yeah. the worst. And, and it's I'll true. And I'll pass out. Oh yeah. Then Doug snores. So I'm like hitting him like, stop snoring because that bothers me too. <laughs> just... I am going to take a video of you snoring now because your pregnancy snore is... <laughs> It's like going to bed with a lawnmower. I'm so sorry. This happened with Henley too. I just get like stuffy, runny nose with pregnancy. I think it's called pregnancy rhinitis. Well, don't tell me about my snoring. Yeah, your snoring really isn't that bad. I got to be honest. It's like... It's heavy breathing. Yours is like you're sawing a tree in half. <laughs> no, yours is not just heavy breathing. I'm like, yeah. I just want to hit you. But anyways, you know, the good thing about insomnia right now is that Henley really is waking up. So I'm already awake and I'm like, all right, let me go give her a hug. And I don't know and if any other mom is like this, like you want your kid to sleep so effing bad. But then when they get there, you're like, oh, I just want to cuddle her one more time. <laughs> And I know that you've heard Henley last time all through the introduction for last week's podcast episode, and this week is no different. You can hear oh, yeah. her at the top of the step. You can hear our dog in the interview. You can hear our daughter talking. I mean, this is what life in quarantine while hanging out with you guys podcasting. That's it. I mean, we're so transparent on this podcast and we love that you guys seem to appreciate it and you don't fault us for it. So thank you for that. Yeah, but we really need to start to prioritize what we want to get done before this baby is born. Like we're getting to one month away. We have the kitchen to get done. I think we're pretty much done with the baby's room. No, Doug, we are not. See, don't you love how men, any woman out there listening, don't you yeah, love how Furniture men... in there. Yeah, but Doug, it's not done. There's not one decoration on the wall. Like... Let's be honest. The kid for the first couple months is going to 
would just stay in our room anyway. Yeah, but I want to make sure his room is done. Honestly, yesterday I was thinking, thank God, first of all, for my sister-in-law, she gave me a ton of hand-me-downs so we have clothes for this little guy. And I already washed them and folded them. We didn't have a dresser at the time, so they're just like in totes. So I've got to put them in the dresser now. We didn't have a coronavirus at the time either when we got them. That's true. And I'm just thinking, thank God we got that room done now because I'm so effing pregnant that like I can barely like bend over now. And so at least that's mostly done. And it's not like we can go out and get stuff. Who knows what stores are open? Yeah, I'm not going out for anything, but I'm not even talking about the coronavirus right now. Like, I don't hate talking about it. I think it's important to talk about it. We'll talk about it later. (laughs) But as far as his room, we have a crib set up. We got the dresser set up. I mean, he does have everything technically, but like, I don't know. I'm so type A. I want to have like a little sanctuary for him. You know, we have Henley's old rocker in there. Yeah, and for you. Yeah, like I really want it to be nice. Like I want it to be decorated and just put together. We did that for Henley and, you know, his room's just not done. Not to sound insensitive, but you had a baby shower for Henley and we got a lot of stuff oh my from gosh. the baby shower. This time you were supposed to have a sprinkle. Is it weird to say whatever you were going to get for the sprinkle, can you mail it to us? A hundred percent. We don't need a thing done. No, we don't really need anything. Yeah, that is weird and insensitive. And honestly, I wanted to say, so my mother-in-law, God bless her, I love her to death, but she really wanted to make sure I had a sprinkle. So she put the whole thing together and then we've had to cancel it. It was supposed to be on April 18th, but we just don't know what's going to happen then. And so we just went ahead and canceled it altogether. And honestly, I was telling her though, like, please let people know, don't even buy me a gift. I don't need a thing. And I actually want to give a shout out to everybody listening. I don't know if you were following us way back with Henley's pregnancy, but I got so many gifts from Franz awesome. all over the world when I was pregnant with Henley. And I kid you not, my playpen is from a follower. Her name is Annette Gurley, A.S. Gurley. You know, she made sure I had a playpen. It was amazing. I'm like speechless yeah, from so it. so awesome. I remember I saved every single one of those return addresses that I could. And I sent them all a Christmas card last year to say, thank you. I did not forget that they sent us. I mean, some women sent me hand crocheted blankets for Gracie. Really sweet, like personal stuff. And we can't thank you enough. And we'll continue to do that too, because it warms my heart. It warms Jamie's heart and Henley loves it. Yeah. I mean, she still uses the blankets, of course, and the playpen is going to be used for baby number two. Thank you all of you who just like thought to reach out to us and send us a gift to our PO box. That was really, really kind to you. And obviously we still haven't forgotten because it's been almost three years later. (laughs) But yeah, we really don't need anything for this little guy though. I mean, diapers, wipes. I'm so thankful because I was able to order them online because I obviously didn't have any. And so when we got back, I was like, oh my gosh, like all the supplies are running low everywhere. I didn't go crazy because I don't want to take away from another mama who needs diapers and wipes. You know, like I I got enough to last for the first few months for my baby. I got like one package of newborn, a couple packages of size one and like one package of size two. So anyways, I still cannot buy toilet paper anywhere. I've tracked every single online site for toilet paper. Today, my sister messaged me this morning and since the sprinkles canceled, she said, I want to send you a care package. What can I send you? And I was like, (laughs) toilet paper? (laughs) Like, please, toilet paper? Like, it's all I really need. Not for nothing, but those hemorrhoid cream and tucks, like, or chasel. This is way TMI, but, you know, I'm queen of TMI. I don't even care. They're bad this time. They're way worse the second time and they're itchy, they're painful. And it doesn't get better. It's not going to get better at all. 
all because I'm going to end up pushing a baby out, which makes it only worse. Yeah. I already just remember the recovery period with Henley. I mean, obviously my vagina hurt because I pushed a baby out, but honestly my tush hurt. Like the hemorrhoids hurt more than anything. Like oh, they're re- so painful. That happened to my sister too. I remember going in the middle of the night to bring her your Epsom salt pan thing, whatever the it was. The sits bath. Yeah, yeah, we gave her the sits bath and like hemorrhoid cream and stuff. And now I, I don't have that. I mean, I'm not asking for the sits bath back. <laughs> it was. It's so funny. There's been multiple instances where we'll run into Fran's just out and about and in Walmart a couple times, people coming up like, oh my God, my hemorrhoids were so bad too. <laughs> it's like, so true. It's so funny. <laughs> Thank you for that because it makes me feel like not so alone. I mean, like no one wants to talk about hemorrhoids. Doug describes them as like popcorn on your tushy. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what they are, but it's like the most painful, bleeding, gross things that you can't do anything about. Like I went to a rectal specialist after I had Gracie and I said, listen, I have to get rid of this because honestly, it's not even sanitary. Like it's really hard to keep it clean downstairs. That's disgusting and TMI. This is why no one talks about it because it's so gross. Sorry for that image in your head. Well, something even grosser is remember my dad had it and went to Disney and went on a ride and came off and because of the hemorrhoid burst, he was bleeding down his back of his pants and down his leg and he's trying to hide it with a jacket. Just No, you're not telling the whole story. So we go to Disney, we go on, it's a small world, that ride, (laughs) you know, like the boat or whatever and the whole family's there like my in-laws and my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law and we're all together on the boat enjoying it's a small world after all and Big Doug gets up and, you know, he goes to get off the boat so everyone can see his tush because we're all sitting in the boat as he climbs out. And my sister-in-law, Carrie, and I noticed that he had blood on his shorts. And it wasn't like a lot, but it was definitely enough. And he was wearing khaki shorts, so it's not like he could hide it. It's noticeable. Yeah, so my sister-in-law just like quietly told my mother-in-law like, hey, let Doug know that he's bleeding, like his hemorrhoids bleeding and to cover it up. And of course, you know what my mother-in-law does? She goes, Doug, Doug, like you're bleeding, Doug. And right. Everybody's turning around to look at him. Yeah, and poor Doug is like, you know, he's of course embarrassed and like tried to like cover up the fact that his butt is bleeding. Oh, it was so funny. Oh my gosh. We still talk about that and laugh. It's so funny. So fortunately, I have pads. So I have my hemorrhoid bleeds that can collect in a pad. But what I was saying is that I went to the rectal doctor after Henley to try to like zap it or something, like somehow get rid of it. And she was like, sure, I can take you into surgery and get rid of it, but it's going to come back with your next baby and it's a waste of your time, money, energy, all of it. And I was like, well, thank you for not just like, you know, taking, yeah, thank you for letting me know that. Good point. So she said, after I'm done having kids, which, you know, we want at least two more. So that's not going to be for a while. I'm basically going to have popcorn butt and Mm -hmm. hope that it doesn't bleed (laughs) because like that would be so embarrassing. Poor Doug. But But anyways. (laughs) Okay, Doug, stop. Okay, I recently discovered the show, The Tiger Man. Yes. Okay, it's on Netflix. I'm telling you, I'm not like one to watch a whole lot of TV. Like Jamie called this her vacation. Like, like her brain was finally turned off. Yeah. It was two in the morning and she is just whooping at the TV. Whooping? Like laughing, whooping. Yeah. At the TV. And you could have stayed up like all night 
just watching this. Oh my gosh. Like if talk about bingeable, like to me, a binge worthy show is one that you just, you truly cannot turn off, right? Like you just will stay up all night, even though you know you have responsibilities and obligations the next day, but you just cannot turn it off because it sucks you in that strong. It is probably one of the most entertaining reality documentary shows ever. And it's with people that are totally serious, totally <laughs> off their rocker, but don't realize that they're off their rocker. This is just every type of character you could ever imagine. And you realize how crazy it is that insane people around this country can own tigers and bears <laughs> and lions. And the people that do own these, they're just out of control. And yeah. it's the most entertaining couple episodes that I've watched in a yeah. long time. So first things first, if you're looking for binge-worthy shows, like I don't have a whole lot to give you because I don't really watch a whole lot of TV, but Love is Blind on Netflix, so effing good. That is one of the first ones that caught my attention. And now this Tiger Man, oh my God. I think it's Tiger King. Something oh, it like is that. Tiger King. I'm not even saying the title right. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all right. But, it, it comes up on Netflix as one of the top. Yeah. It's that good. Like Doug couldn't describe it better because these people love big cats and wild animals. And so they like mate them for like a living and they turn this into a business. But like, I'm not doing it justice. You have to just watch one episode. If you're looking for a show, you're not sure if you're going to like it, just try one episode. And I promise you, you're going to laugh. But like for all the wrong reasons, you're like, no, wait, this shouldn't be funny, but it's so funny. Yeah. At the end of the day, though, as entertaining as it is, it's tough for me to watch because I hate animals like that in captivity. I know yeah. that I know that they breed them there and they're meant for that, but but just, that's not cool. It's not just the thought of locking an animal up in a cage. It's like they're breeding these animals to just live a life of being on a leash and being in yeah. an enclosed environment. It's not fair, but the comic relief of it does take some of that edge away. But yeah, I do not by any means support the ownership of these animals or the captivity of dolphins. SeaWorld is the devil Okay, to me. Doug, we do not need to go into this rant. I know, but I'm saying like, it is worth a watch. Yeah, it's really, really funny. And, you know, obviously we're not in support of captivating animals no. or, or breeding them just yeah. so that you can make a dollar. So sad. Anyways. They call it educating though. Yeah, that rant over. Some of the greatest mullets you've ever seen in your <laughs> life. And the great thing about it is that watch episode one and yes. please come back and let us know either on like a review for the podcast on iTunes. We read all of them, obviously, or on Instagram. However you want to let us know. Somehow let us know what you think of it because I think you're going to love it. Yeah. Like, or let us know what you're watching because I think it'll be fun for all of us to, you know, while we're indoors, let's all watch something the same. Yeah, that actually is a great idea, Doug. We could all watch the same show and then we could like <laughs> talk about it together. Yeah. That's a really good idea. So please let us know what else is so bingeable. Like you cannot turn it off because I have a hard time finding them myself. But anyways, for a more serious guest right now, my friend Sarah, we told you already about her. She's a nurse at Columbia Presbyterian. That's where we met when I worked there as well. And she has a lot of really great insight. And I think one thing that I really wanted to talk to her about was this ban for support people to be in the hospital. It's super controversial. And I wanted to hear from a medical standpoint, why? Why would you ban a support person from going into the hospital and helping a laboring mama? Right. So we 
brought her on and we asked her all the tough questions. But before we get Sarah on, I do want to mention this amazing gift that I'm getting from my mom for Mother's Day, which is like the coolest thing she's going to love. Yeah. So you guys know Big Doug and Bonnie are like basically illiterate when it comes to like smart technology. They don't have any more space on their wall for photos. Yeah. So this is where Skylight comes in. We actually just discovered Skylight ourselves. It's essentially like a photo frame that you connect to Wi-Fi and the internet and you shoot off pictures. Literally, all you have to do is just email the picture. It automatically pops up on this photo frame. It's a nice black 10-inch photo frame. It's the easiest way for the entire family to send and share photos, which automatically comes up on this 10-inch digital screen for my mom. So me, my brother, my sister, the kids, we email my mom Skylight. It pops up in seconds in her house. And so then she gets to see it like in real time because girlfriend does not know how to open an email. She doesn't even have an email. She definitely doesn't have a smartphone. So this is the best way to kind of stay connected and share photos. And I mean, I think it's a great idea. And the best thing for us about it is that it's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. So if she doesn't like it, we can just return it. But I'm pretty sure she's going to love it. And it's super dummy proof. And actually, they're offering you $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frames when you go to skylightframe.com slash cool, C-O-O-L. And enter the code cool, which is (laughs) C-O-O-L. And yeah, that's it. So like if you want to get $10 off your own Skylight Frame, we think it's perfect for Mother's Day, then you just go to skylightframe.com slash C-O-O-L and enter the code cool, C-O-O-L. That's skylight, S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T, frame, F-R-A-M-E dot com slash cool. Cool. Okay. Speaking of cool. (laughs) Yeah. So I think we're going to bring on Sarah and chat about what everybody wants to know. What the heck is happening behind the scenes in the hospital from somebody who's actually there day in and day out. And treating patients. Yeah. Patients with coronavirus. It's pretty incredible. And I'm so excited that she's coming on. Yeah. Let's get her on. I'm so excited to welcome my really good friend, Sarah Maher, on the podcast. We've worked together at New York Presbyterian Columbia Hospital up in Washington Heights. It's the number five hospital in the entire nation. It's ranked number one in New York City. And not only does it offer excellent care that's been nationally recognized for years, but it also trains amazing, excellent nurses, doctors, and healthcare staff. And I'm not patting myself on the back because I am no longer working there, but Sarah has worked there since 2011. She's been an RN since 2005. And let me tell you, she has a lot of credentials after her name. She's officially titled Sarah Maher RNC OB. So she has her inpatient OB certification. She's also certified in NRP, ACLS, BLS. I mean, the list goes on. She's super, super good at what she does. OMG. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Needless to say, she was someone who actually helped me. I mean, I didn't even graduate nursing school in 2005. So she helped me a lot when I was starting out working at Columbia Presbyterian and she has an extensive amount of experience. And so I just wanted to invite her on as a friend, but also really as an expert behind the scenes. I mean, she's literally in the labor rooms working side by side with patients who either have it or are exposed to it or definitely laboring and delivering a child during this really scary time. So welcome on, Sarah. Thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you worked overtime this week, so it means a lot to us that you took the time out to come over to our podcast and chat with us and all of our friends about what's really happening behind the scenes. Hi, how are you guys? Um, Sarah, I know that this didn't just come on all of a sudden. When did you start to hear more buzz in the hospital about the coronavirus? Probably about two weeks ago, and then it's just steadily increased each day, sometimes throughout the day. And what precautions were needed at the time? 
Um, it's been a really fluid situation, so it's changed daily, sometimes in the same shift they've changed their recommendations. But we've known since the beginning that PPE, personal protective equipment, you know, might run out if this went as bad as it was predicted to go. So we didn't initially wear anything unless it was a patient that we were suspected or had been exposed or had symptoms. But then as things had went along, we learned that some patients don't have any symptoms, but later end up turning to be positive in the same hospital stay. So we've recently implemented that every staff wears a mask for the entire shift, the entire time that we're there, and as well as every patient wears a mask. Which is really scary, too, because it kind of came all of a sudden. And I know that this is kind of new for everybody that was there as far as the equipment and protecting yourself. Has there been testing at the hospital before people are coming in? Um, I don't know if the clinics have been testing or not, but we've been testing all of our patients now that are admitted. So whether they have symptoms or not, once they're admitted, they get a test. But that recently only started a few days ago. I know that tests are limited. I mean, there are people, for example, my sister-in-law, her mother has all the signs and symptoms, but they wouldn't even give her a test because like, she didn't have all the signs and symptoms. She was just missing shortness of breath, but she has had a fever for literally a week straight and coughing and all the jazz, but just didn't feel short of breath. So they said, well, if you're not short of breath, then you don't have all the symptoms. There's not enough tests for everybody. So you're not getting tested. How are you guys able to have the tests? Quick note on that. And like Doug and I have said previously, like things change literally. And like you said, it changes within an hour of like what the precautions are and what the news is. So I did see on the news that there might be a test that's available within a half hour. I don't know if you saw that, Sarah, but they might be pumping this test out for hospitals. But how are you guys able to have the tests even up until now? Well, I know they were first were taking probably close to 12 hours to get the results. Now they're a little bit shorter, anywhere from four to eight hours, depending on when they're getting run and what's happening in the lab. I don't know what the hospital had to do to be able to get these tests, but I know that they've already learned that some of these patients don't have symptoms and then develop them while they're there and become positive and can decompensate quite quickly. So it's valuable knowledge for us to know from the very beginning. Besides protecting the patient and ourselves, it helps us treat them more effectively. And just a quick question on that. When did it start to become serious where this was kind of like a changing episode and event? It's probably been less than two weeks, but I think just seeing like the first case made it feel a lot more real. And then I think as we saw like the increasing numbers, you know, you can kind of feel the anxiety that comes along with that. Quick question on that, Sarah. So you have treated coronavirus positive patients, COVID-19 positive patients? Yes. And what is that like? Can you like get, take us behind the scenes of like what that's like, A, as a nurse, but B, as the patient, just all of it? Once you're in it and you're giving them the care, you think of them as any other patient. You want to give them the best care that you can. You take a few more steps as far as like when you're entering the room and when you're exiting the room and then making sure that everything that they need is already in the room and dedicated to just them. You want to limit what's coming in, what's going out, you know, because our ultimate goal is to slow and stop the spread. Absolutely. What are their signs and symptoms? Because I know some, of course, are, you know, this could be fatal, but then others, they just barely have a cough. Yeah. Some just feel a little bit achy. Some have a mild fever. Some have a cough. Some feel just like a little bit more shorter breath than they usually are. Those are the most common of the symptoms that we've had. Some have a headache. So there's really no way of just looking at someone and telling that they have this virus, right? I mean, there's no telltale signs visually. 
No. And there's such varying like ranges of how the disease progresses and everybody actually probably manifests differently with it. So there's no way to be certain without the test. And with the lack of the protective gear, so when you're going in and you're treating someone that has the virus, is the shortage enough to where you have to keep that mask on? I would think that you would have to just dispose of everything within that same room, right? So we have the PPE that we need for right now. You know, I don't know how long that's going to last. I don't know if that's going to be worse as like things increase, but we have had the supplies that we need, which is a N95 mask is particular. So we've been covering that mask and then the face shield. And every time you come out, you're getting rid of your outer mask in addition to like your gown. And then you're also cleaning and disinfecting your eye protection. Wow. So I just think from the nursing standpoint, like just how much additional work that that takes for you. You already are so busy and there's already so much going on in your shift. And now you have all these extra steps to take in order to make sure that you yourself are safe, that you're not spreading it to your next patient, but also that the patient who has it, you're not leaving the germs in their room either. Like you're trying to kill every germ possible. Question for you as a nurse, do you feel safe? I know, Sarah, that you have a beautiful little daughter, Alice, and, you know, your husband and, you know, you're taking care of patients who are infected with coronavirus. And they say that most children are fine, but children less than one tend to struggle significantly with it. How do you feel when you go home to your family after working a whole shift, which is 12 hours plus sometimes with a patient who's had coronavirus? No, that's a good question. It's definitely very, you know, mentally and emotionally draining, you know, not to mention like the days are long. You're not drinking as much because you don't want to go through all the steps of going and taking your masks off and following all of that. And then when you come home, you go through all of your steps to like put all of these things in a certain spot and like shower and not say hi to anybody when you first get home so that you can be clean of all the germs. And it's constantly in your mind. Well, if they get it, did I spread it to them? Did I wash my hands enough today? I do everything I could. And, you know, you never really stop thinking about it. Now, has there been any cases where the mother that's delivering the baby has coronavirus and does it transfer to the newborn? I think so far in the studies, I don't know if it's 100%, but I think most of the babies have been testing negative. Yeah. And that's just like in general in the published data that is out there, but they do monitor and do testing for the babies. Right. And so are they saying that the mother would need to be separated from the baby as soon as she delivers? No, I think, you know, and all of these things are changing daily. So pardon me if this is like corrected later, but right now they are monitoring the baby for symptoms and seeing how the baby is and doing the test. But if the baby is well, then mom's supposed to wear a mask and kind of try to limit direct contact. Yeah. You know, pump and then give the breast milk to the baby. But they're staying in their rooms if the babies are well. That's awesome. I mean, literally every single night I am researching this because, as you know, we're super pregnant and we're also weighing our options of how to deliver. I mean, we're taking it very, very seriously. I always like kind of laugh and say, call me crazy. But honestly, I don't think we're crazy. I think that it's really important that we all stay home and do our absolute best to prevent the spread of this virus, especially if you're pregnant or if you have an elderly one. But even if you're not, because inevitably, if you're out chatting, you know, with your elderly neighbor and you accidentally hug them, which isn't an accident, but even like shake their hand. Yeah, or touch something that they touch. Yeah, like, I mean, you're literally spreading it that easily. And sure, you're fine because it seems like 
the healthier, younger population seems to be okay, although that's not always the truth. What about your elderly neighbor or your parents or your grandparents or your newborn infant? But everything's changing so fast and so rapidly. So states act differently. So if you're in New York State, let's say, this is where Sarah practices, then maybe the mom and the baby are together and the mom just wears a mask. Or let's say if you're in New Jersey, like where I'll be delivering, maybe their rules are different. And so that's another thing that I feel like us as a nation have to come together and decide like what is truly best and let's really enforce these rules so that we're all on the same page. And I know that that's something that Columbia Presbyterian has been trying to do for sure. One way that they tried doing it was that they had banned support people from coming into the hospital with a laboring woman, which immediately everybody's mouth is just like wide open and they gasp. And they're like, what are we back in like the 1900s where like husbands don't get to go in for the delivery? Like what's going on here? Like where's the support for a laboring woman? And I get that entirely, especially because, you know, I'm eight months pregnant and I (laughs) would really love my husband to be by my side to hold my puke bucket. And like if I poop, maybe like, I don't know, hopefully not look at that while I'm delivering. (laughs) I already saw that once on the first one. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But then, you know, the fact that I've been a labor and delivery nurse and the fact that I know you, Sarah, and we've been chatting and I just think about behind the scenes and you guys are so fortunate to have the personal protective equipment, but there are so many hospitals that don't have it. And they're literally taking care of these patients without the masks and without the gown over with no facial shield. And so long story short, (laughs) Governor Cuomo just recently put a stop to that banning of the support people coming into the labor room. And this is a super controversial topic. And it's something that I want to tread lightly on because me myself being pregnant, I get it. Like I want a support person there too, at least my husband to be able to be there to A, support me, but to be with the baby. But then like I said, like as a nurse, I'm like, man, if we run out of personal protective equipment, how much faster is this going to spread? And if we don't have tests available to test everybody immediately and they're not showing signs and symptoms, we know how it goes. Like dads are hanging out in the waiting room. The waiting room isn't like six feet long. If there's like even three dads in there, inevitably they're going to touch something that they've sneezed on or coughed on or, you know, breathed on. So with all that said, Sarah, I would love to hear your take as a registered nurse working in the hospital behind the scenes. And also you're a mama. You have both sides too. What is your take on the fact that Cuomo has lifted the ban for the support person in the labor and delivery unit? Well, I mean, I think for our hospital, and I can't speak for other hospitals because I'm not working there, but for ours where we were seeing so many cases, we're in the heart of New York City. You know, that was a little bit difficult news to hear that decision was kind of taken from the hospital because everything that we were doing was with the benefit of our patients in mind. It's no benefit to us to not have the support people. It's crushing. It's hard for us. We go into this because we love to be a part of this birth experience and make it as positive as we can for these patients. So we know that it's really trying and it's hard. I will say that while it wasn't in fact, the patients that we had were incredibly understanding. And while they were sad, they realized the necessity in these times of why it was happening. You know, whenever we could, we had extra staff in there that were already wearing their equipment to like help and help with the FaceTiming, you know, because it goes beyond just the PPE. It's like doubling that family's risk because there's one more person that's there. And, you know, we're caring for the patient and the baby once the baby's there. So we're not always available to kind of be keeping an eye on the husband and like, did he touch this? Did he go out of the room? You know, did his mask come down? So there's just like multiple levels that are involved. So, and we might have enough equipment 
today and this week, but we know that we don't have the supply that we would like. And we know that this is going to continue. Yeah, that was the struggle that I had too, because I would be devastated to not be in the room with Jamie and not be able to hold my son, you know, as soon as he's born. But on the other hand, I get it. It would be selfish of me to push for that. You know, like if I did have it, I'd be spreading it to so many people. And when you have different birthing options, and I don't know if you've seen this start, but you know, we're seriously considering not going to the hospital to give birth. Yeah. For some patients, if they're low risk and they fit the right criteria, and if there's like someone that's going to attend the birth to be a part of it, you know, I think that that would be something to be worth considering. You know, I think that for some patients, I would hope that they wouldn't go that route without doing the proper research because there's a lot of risks that also go with it. And if there was an emergency and they had to emergently go to the hospital, you know, some of those steps might be missed because they want to give them care and they might be exposing themselves even further, you know, or there might be a bad outcome. So I think that for the right patient, that's definitely a good option to think about. But I think you have to still look at all the risks and benefits. Oh my gosh, 100%. I mean, to be very, very honest, and I haven't been shy about this, I would never have a home birth ever in my life if this hadn't come into play. But now that I think about it, I'm like, okay, so I know that there's limited supplies in a lot of different hospitals. I know that there aren't enough tests to test everybody who's walking in the door. And I also know that there's only so many beds and the nurses are already understaffed and overworked. And so I like really thought about it from many different angles, obviously from like the nursing background and also just for the safety of our own family and like what's best for us. And fortunately, I have a super low risk pregnancy. I mean, I have had a great pregnancy with this little guy and with Henley. I had a great delivery with her, great pregnancy. Selfishly, I do want to be in the hospital so I can have an epidural (laughs) because, oh my gosh, like this is probably going to hurt really bad. But then I just think about the fact that what if, I'm taking up a bed and a nurse's time when there are so many patients that are becoming infected with this and they need a bed and they aren't low risk. They don't even have the option to stay at home. And so I still was kind of selfish and was like, yeah, but what if like a disaster happens at the last minute? What am I going to do? We're 20 minutes away from the most local hospital. And I like calmed my mind and I just really like said, okay, fear comes from not being knowledgeable, right? Like not knowing all the facts. And so basically all you can do is research. And then once you have all the facts, don't even like have an opinion. Even the route that you think you wouldn't go, because I didn't think I would do home birth. I was thinking birthing center, maybe, at least because they're already affiliated with the hospital. Long story short, I researched everything. And after really weighing pros and cons, honestly, after talking to this midwife who has been doing this for 20 plus years, and she wasn't even pushy. She wasn't even like, yeah, you got to do the home birth. She was like, go figure out what you want to do. Like, let me know. You know, this is something that I wasn't aware of, but she brings like Pitocin, which helps with postpartum hemorrhage. For those of you who don't know, Mm -hmm. she brings oxygen. She brings a lot of medical equipment. God forbid that there's some sort of emergency. And this is really important to me too. She also measures the fetal heart rate while you're laboring, which I kind of thought that they just like went with the flow. I don't know. I've never experienced a home birth before. So I had no idea that they actually have medical equipment and medical supplies. They bring it right to your home. And I was like, oh, so you actually listen to the heart rate throughout? And she's like, yeah, of course we do. And I was like, oh, right. Of course you do. I don't know. Like I've never experienced this. Yeah. No, I didn't know either. I just assumed they used like intermittent, put a Doppler on just to like get a quick check. But 
That's really good. Yeah. So that really, really reassured me. And she also said to me, if I was only three centimeters dilated and she recognized that there was like D cells in the heart rate from the Doppler, which I'm like, are you sure you can recognize that? But of course she can. Like she's so experienced in this. And even you and I could recognize that. So any case, she said, if there's any D cells and we're noticing that it's happening frequently, she's like, I will shut down the show. You go into transport mode and they have like a whole thing for what they call transport mode. And I'm still like a novice to this. I have no idea even really what I'm talking about. I'm just sharing what she shared with me. And they have a plan in place. It's not like they just like blow in their incense and humming and (laughs) rolling on a yoga ball. (laughs) So any case, I'm happy that it kind of opened my mind to learn more about that because I think us as labor and delivery nurses, we just know that there are so many things that can happen last minute. And it's really scary if you don't have. Oh, absolutely. Oh my God. It's so scary. But because I'm low risk, I just keep reminding myself that I think that this might be the best option for me. And it might be the best for our community and society as well so that we're not taking up all the supplies even you know just one more person could have that and you as a mom I'm sure can relate to this we also run the risk of not being able to see our daughter Henley for quite a while you know like if we go to the hospital and I'm allowed to be in as a support person I've heard that they really won't let them leave the hospital which would mean we would have to find somebody for Henley and that would probably Uh be like a week until we show no signs or symptoms and in my head there's more then there are pros to going to the hospital if we have everything in place, if we show that we're not at risk, if we show all of the signs that a home birth or a birthing center can be successful. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I think that it's something that you both have weighed the pros and cons and it feels like the right decision for your family, you know, because at the end of the day, it's all about what's going to make you feel the most comfortable and like, what are you going to feel the most confident about? Yeah. And using that decision, we know that probably there are more cases of COVID-19 in the hospital than yeah. at your home, especially you've been quarantined, you haven't had anyone else there. Now going into the city, because every news report, anytime you see it, they're calling New York City kind of like this epicenter. When this first started, did you notice that there were a lot of people kind of ignoring the social distancing? And have you seen a dramatic change in New York City with people not leaving their place? Well, since I live in New Jersey now and I drive to and from the hospital, I don't get to like witness as much of it, but I can say there's been a significant reduction in traffic, which has to tell me there's a lot less people that are driving into the city. Gotcha. I do feel like there's still more people that you see outside than you think you would, but that's decreased. I think less places are open. I think as the cases increase, people are taking it more and more seriously. But I think initially people were like, oh yeah, no, it's not going to get to me or it's not going to get to here that bad. Yeah. In your opinion, and maybe you've heard this at the hospital, but is there any advice that you would give to help stop this virus or to help others from not spreading the virus? Yeah, if you don't need to leave your home, don't. Stay home. Because there are a lot of people, it's not just healthcare workers, it's like police officers and it's other people that are at the hospital. They can't stay home. They have to go to work. So we really rely on all the people that don't have to leave to stay home because we know that each person, if they do, then they could spread to the next person and that's just how it continues. Yeah. And wash your hands, soap and water. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what we've heard too. But if 
there was any wish that you had for the hospital, whether it's supplies or anything, what does your hospital need? What do you hear that other hospitals need, you know, as far as the equipment or protective equipment? Um, I think it's the N95 masks. Those seem to be the most like treasured and gold, you know, limit those, only use them if you have to, you know, keep them covered so then they can be used for the longer period of time, you know, because we know that they provide better protection than the other masks. They create a better seal when worn effectively. And if you know, like your right size, which all of us at the hospital were fit tested every year. So we know what size we wear and what's going to give us the protection that we need. You know, and then the other is just to remember, like when we're not wanting visitors, it's not because we don't want those people there. It's just because we want to give the best care to the patient without any extra distractions and without having to use extra supplies. This is a scary time for everybody, but it almost seems like it's going to take a collective effort to curb the spread. And I just want to thank you for having the courage and I know you feel like it's part of your job but you on the front line and going into work and you're essentially going into this outbreak I just want to say it's very honorable I commend you I'm very proud that we do have people like you to help in these trying times and whether you think it's just another day at work you know I have a lot of respect for all healthcare providers and not just because Jamie's a nurse and because I've met <laughs> you guys but you are seriously some of the bravest human beings that are on the planet. Yeah, no, I mean, when you sign up to be a nurse, you know that you're going to be caring for people. I don't think that you envisioned in your mind that you'll be working in the height of a pandemic, but you know, it's emotional. You think about it on your way into work. You think about it on your way home from work. You think about it throughout the day there. But for me, caring for my patients is also like so important and so necessary. Absolutely. One thing, Sarah, before we let you go, I really want to focus on this band of support people because I really think that it's important that you as a nurse can kind of share why. I mean, it's not like people are just trying to separate patients from their support people. That's not at all the goal. And I did happen to put a tweet out and a lot of women who have children who are about to deliver are saying, but what do you mean? What if my daughter can't walk? What if my daughter needs help nursing the baby? What if my daughter needs something and there's nobody there to help her? And that is a really valid point. And then another person said, you know, the dad hasn't been able to see any ultrasounds, any heartbeats thus far because of this coronavirus. Why shouldn't he be able to be in there to at least witness the birth of his son? And so I I realize that, of course, everyone's panicky and scared about not being able to be there for their laboring partner or like the daughter or whatever. But tell us why, from a medical standpoint, why this ban even started. Well, we just noticed that the cases were continuing to increase. I'm sure other hospitals had to have known similar things. And, you know, we'd already cut it down from like three visitors allowed to two. And then we cut it down to one, you know, and then as we were like seeing increase in what was happening, it became apparent that like for safety, you know, we had to do things that maybe were going to be hard to do. And it was a really difficult decision that wasn't taken lightly. You know, now I feel like it's like an us versus them. And that's not what it's about. Because like we want the same outcome that they want. You know, we want it to be a beautiful delivery and we wanted to be like feel supported and to be a memory that they cherish so I think that that's like the fine line there and you know they're never alone that's why all of us labor and delivery nurses became this type of nurse they have us they have the doctors you know there's like teaching consultants on postpartum there's postpartum nurses you know I know I trust that hospital I delivered there and while my husband was with me if he wasn't I know I would have been given really good care and even though he was there they still were in there making sure that they could help me get up and help me with breastfeeding or make sure I didn't need anything 
you know, so I would hope that the patients would see once they did come in, if they did have to come alone, that they really weren't alone. You know, they didn't have people that they had met before, but they have people that are invested in them having a positive outcome. Absolutely. And something that you were telling me and you talked about a little bit previously was that while this ban was still in place, they were not left alone. They were always with their nurses. They have a call bell. So God forbid they do need to get up out of bed and they have trouble. They can easily ring for a nurse. But also you guys added in people into the laboring room when they're delivering so that they could FaceTime. So there was enough staff there so that when you were able to, you would make sure that there was someone manning the phone or the tablet so that they could FaceTime their partner. Because something that I want to just point out is that sure, it sucks, right? Like I do not want to think about delivering my baby without my husband there. I mean, I just do not want to think about that. However, I also wonder while my husband's just walking into the laboring room, you know, like we all know you have to take the elevator, you got to go through the doors, you got to go through all the halls, potentially use the bathroom, I don't know. And so you're really exposing yourself so many times and God forbid my husband or I catch this coronavirus and then we give it to our baby. And honestly, it would be more like the partner than me because I would be in the bed. God forbid my husband catches this virus and then we literally have to go to the hospital anyways because our baby then contracted it and is now in the hospital fighting for his life. And so when I think about it, and I urge everybody to think about it kind of like that because like Sarah said, the ban isn't about separating moms and babies or us versus them. It's really about the same exact outcome. Like we all want a healthy, happy delivery for everybody involved with minimal risk for the coronavirus. And if we have multiple different support people coming in, that's just multiple more people that you're at risk who may be symptomless, that may cough on the elevator button or whatever, is not being washed after every single visitor. Inevitably, you're going to share an elevator space. If someone sneezes, even if they sneeze into their arm, these are all things you need to think about. And so God forbid you do catch it and then you pass it on to the mom or the baby or both. And then you're stuck in the hospital even longer. So it's kind of a question of, okay, can you manage this labor by yourself? We are women. We are super heroes like we can do it and we're not alone we have doctors and nurses and nurses aides and lots of people helping us so we can do it and then if it's a healthy delivery I don't know about for you Sarah at Columbia Presbyterian but at my community hospital here in New Jersey where I would probably deliver within 24 hours if you're safe and the baby's been safe they're happy to let you go home because they don't want you there either for obvious reasons so that being said if you can manage laboring with the help of amazing nursing staff and doctors and then if you have a healthy delivery you go home within 24 hours, you're safe. Your husband's safe. You're okay then. I don't know. I guess that's maybe the compassionate part of me. And I'm not at all saying one way or the other, but that's just kind of how my mindset went for it because I guess I don't know. I just feel like it's so scary, but the scarier option is that someone catches the coronavirus and newborns are at a higher risk than the general population. Then you're stuck in the hospital anyways. Your baby's then fighting for his life. So maybe we should try to prevent that from happening altogether. Rant over. (laughs) Yes, well said. No, it's just about people looking at the whole picture. We've cried with our patients because we know it's sad. But then at the same time, it's like, what's sad is that there is a pandemic going on. Right. Not that we're trying to keep them apart. And, you know, I'd say for the most part, for the brief period of time while we were able to enforce it, we were FaceTiming in the ORs, which is something that we would never typically do. Making sure that we were FaceTiming during the vaginal deliveries, like helping the mom to cut her own cord. Taking the pictures on the scale and trying to do the things that the partner would do if they were there just to help her create those memories, share them through video calls. I don't know about you guys, but FaceTiming is the next best thing. That's all my husband and I are doing with our parents because 
we both know that we could possibly be exposed. So we aren't seeing any of our family because we don't want to spread it to them. So we've realized that like FaceTiming, it's great. Absolutely. And to kind of flip it over on its side, like how fortunate are we that we have healthcare staff that are going into the hospital, risking their lives, potentially bringing this back to their own family, going through all these extra steps at home even to prevent bringing it to their family because you are literally going into war zone every single day when you go to work. So to flip it on its side, it's like, thank you, healthcare staff for A, being there for us and for staying open for us and accepting us. And if you need us to stay home, we will stay home we had better stay home for you. (laughs) I could probably go on and on and on about this because it's really something I'm passionate about at this moment just because I feel like people aren't getting it. Like they just aren't getting it. Like they're not seeing it from any other side other than their own because it's so scary. And I understand that my heart goes out to them because especially first time moms, it's like, oh my gosh, it's such a scary thing. You've never even had a baby before. You've never even done this before. And now you're going to go do it alone. And I know that, you know, now it's been uplifted. So that might not be the case. But needless to say, just just remember to think about the whole picture and kind of like think outside the box of what's really truly best for you and your family because it might seem like having your support person there is healthy and safe and fine and what you want but if you think a little bit further along the line of the potential risks I mean you're doubling your chance of catching coronavirus by having an extra person right there at the bedside so you know just think of that because if god forbid your baby catches it then you're stuck in the hospital and not for a good thing like it's not going to be a beautiful experience because your baby's sick so anyways clearly passionate about it and I just really wanted to share that because I feel like even I didn't think of that at first like at first I was like what you're saying my husband can't even come with me like no way you know of course your first initial reaction is panic and freak and what are about my rights and how am I going to do this if you just take a second to step back and think about the whole picture and everybody and everything that's involved and the fact that this is a pandemic I mean this isn't to be taken lightly you know truly if you're really thinking about the health and safety of your family, you might want to reconsider whether or not you think support people should be there. So in any case, I know that there's a petition going around right now to sign to say, hey, listen, if healthcare providers say that we shouldn't have support people there, then we should probably trust our healthcare providers since they're the ones who are literally on the front line. And was it a doctor who started this petition, Sarah? I'm not sure. I can't remember who it was that started it, but it was in response to like Cuomo's executive order. Yeah. So there's a petition going around. And if you feel like you would like to potentially sign this petition to keep America safe, really, like to keep us all safe, to keep you and your family safe, the healthcare staff safe, and our community safe to stop this spread. And if you feel like it's something that you could do, like you could go in there, you can deliver your baby, you can count on the nurses, then I highly recommend just taking a peek at this petition. And if you feel compelled, go for it. If you don't, that's totally fine too. And I'm sure that this is probably going to ruffle some feathers because some people, just don't agree and they feel like women's rights are taken away and I understand that I really truly do but I would love to have like a healthy honest conversation about this you know let's not fight about it because we all want the same outcome just like Sarah said we all want the same outcome but let's have a real open-minded conversation about this because that's the only way we're all going to come out on top yeah I mean and the petition isn't for like you know a blanket ban on all support people it's just to like put those decisions back in like the individual hospital's hands so like the hospitals that feel like there are a lot of cases and they can't get it under control, then they make the decision that like they don't want to have support people there. And maybe hospitals where there's been zero cases, they're okay with there just being one. So I think it's like a one size fits all for the state. I feel like some hospitals don't have the same risks that our hospital has. 
I couldn't have said that better because it's so true. I mean, in New York City, we all know it's the epicenter, right? So that's like where it's hit the hardest. So of course, you guys are in New York City and that's why you guys put the ban on there. And I don't want to say you guys as if this was your decision because it wasn't, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) But in other states, they're not seeing it as much and they don't have the ban and they're not struggling as much with personal protective equipment. So of course, they don't have this ban and that is amazing and you are so lucky. But you know, in the states that need this ban in order to prevent the spread, you know, let's remember to think outside the box and just really think about the safety of yourself and your family for the long haul, not just the delivery. Yes. This is the last thing I wanted to ask. I promise. (laughs) So that you can go enjoy your family on your one day off this week. Okay. So what can us as outsiders do to help nurses? Like, would you want pizza delivery or? Yes. Lunches to the hospital are taken with open arms. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And so please tell us more and don't be shy. Like, because I think that this is something that we need to do to uplift our healthcare team because you guys are battling for us. So what can we do to help you? Well, I mean, if you are in the hospital or you are patient, you know, have a little extra grace with your healthcare provider. Cause while you're stressed, cause you're in there, like we're stressed every day that we're there. This is hard. It's taxing. I mean, hundred percent agree with that. Absolutely. And then if there was anything else we could do, like as a service, like, is there anything that we could do? So I would just say like anyone that has supplies, check with your local hospitals to see where you can donate and like how they can get used. I'm sure that there are first line responders that are short on supplies as well. You know, I don't know how long our supplies are going to last, but right now we have everything we need, but I know that there are hospitals that don't. Okay. So if there's something you want to do for our healthcare team that are literally fighting in the front line, the recommendation is get them some lunch or some dinner. Or if you have access to masks, gowns, whatever, gloves, gloves, send it to them. Yeah. Reach out and find out who needs it. So any case, if you want to help them out, that's a good way to do it. And Doug and I definitely want to do that ourselves. So we're going to think of something. But anyways, so Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast and answering all of our questions. And I mean, I couldn't say it better than Doug. You are a superhero. I hope all you know. You are. Yeah, all of you are. But since yes, we're talking to it you. <laughs> takes a village. You're the best out of all of them. Yeah, that's what we think. <laughs> <laughs> Tell everybody on the floor, seriously, send them our heartfelt appreciation for being there. Just being there is just, you guys are heroes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. You know, I hope you have a very uneventful rest of your pregnancy. Thank you. Thank you. We love you, Sarah. <laughs> we'll talk to you oh, soon. Oh, love you guys. It was so good chatting with her. You know, I genuinely mean it when I say that these healthcare professionals that work in hospitals and anybody that's treating people, it is such a brave and honorable job. And I just want to thank Sarah again for giving us time because it sounds like she's been putting in a ton of hours and she sounds a little tired and I know they put in long shifts. Yeah, I mean, Sarah literally just worked an extra shift yesterday and I know that today is her only day with her family till she has to go back to the hospital. So the fact that she took out the time to come on the podcast and chat with us. Yeah. As a dad, I understand it. Like as much as I would want to be there for you, for me to force the issue of being there would be just saying, okay, I just care about myself and I want to be there for when my son is born and I don't care about anybody else if I'm carrying or if I get it. Well, I mean, I think that there's more than that, Doug, like playing devil's advocate. I mean, I get it. It's so scary when you're about to deliver a baby, you have no idea what's going to happen. So I do, I get it, but it's like not even just thinking about yourself. It's just like, if you even are just thinking about yourself, it might be best to have no support people come in because you have no idea what the other dads are bringing in and what they're touching and sneezing on 
on. And so like maybe you guys are already safe, but maybe another family next door to you isn't. And then you happen to cross paths and you accidentally get contracted with the virus and then you give it to your newborn and then you're in the hospital. I mean, that's worst case scenario, but it's obviously plausible. That's how this is spreading so fast. And so I know that it's like you want to be there for your laboring partner or for yourself. You want a partner for yourself if you're laboring. But man, like if you could handle 24 hours to like 48 hours of championing yourself and then going home to a safe, clean environment, knowing that you and your baby are totally safe, that to me seems like best case scenario. And then also that also helps with the healthcare staff limiting how much personal protective equipment they have to use and exposing them as well. Because God forbid, oh my gosh, I mean, let's not even go there, but God forbid it spreads in our hospitals and our nursing staff is all put out. I mean, let's not even think about that. But like, that's why they have this ban in place so that they can prevent that. You know, and I never really even thought about it in a way where, yes, they need protective equipment. Yes, they need to protect themselves, but extra people would mean that they would have to give protective gear to you, to the public. And it's obvious that there is some stuff that we can do as public civilians. There are ways to help out our local healthcare providers. And I think it's a good idea that we should probably send some lunches out to some hospitals, you know? Oh, I'm already thinking of how we can make this work as like a giveaway on Instagram for anybody who needs it because I don't know how to find out that you need it, but I'm about to go upstairs and take a video (laughs) and put it out on Instagram. So if you're listening to this, you probably already saw that we've already done this because you know we record these early. And speaking of that, next week we are are not going to have a guest. We're going to talk really in depth about just our very own labor and delivery plan. And so if you know somebody who's pregnant or going through it, it's not going to be so much about the coronavirus, but it's going to be about options because I really have researched birthing centers, birthing at home and hospitals. And so whether there's a coronavirus or not, I'm going to share all the facts that I've found and why each one has different pros and cons so that if you're pregnant yourself or if you know somebody who is, you can get honest advice. I mean, there's so much information out there. So I literally filtered it to like what's just real and you can trust it. And uh, and I'm happy to share that with you guys. So that's what we're going to chat about next week. And yeah, until then, stay safe, stay home, and thank your healthcare workers. And wash your hands and wash your kids' hands and wash your own hands and stop sneezing on things and stop coughing on things. (laughs) That's not too much to ask, is it? (laughs) Don't use this microphone. All right. We love you guys. We'll talk to you next week. And stay tuned for Hot Marriage Cool Parents on Instagram or my wife's page at Jamie and Otis or me at Doug Hayner. And we love you and have a good week.